Well, hey, welcome to Gateway. My name is Carlos. I'm our campus pastor here at North and lead our executive team. Uh, you know, you, you, you saw a highlight there of, um, uh, from Jen and Kelly Bossy. Uh, Ke- Kelly attends North and Jen, our central campus. And uh, I'm telling you, you want to watch this week's podcast. It's really, really good. And I'm just humbled by the kind of people we have in our church outside of our staff, people who are leaders and making a difference in the marketplace and have God-given wisdom on how to lead in the marketplace. I really want to encourage you to go this week and and, and really watch it. It's really going to line up with what the message is today. Uh, One of the things I I always like to do is to welcome those of you who are watching online. So if you're in the room, just make sure everybody online feels welcome with us this morning. Come on, give them a round. Yeah. I honestly don't know how you do it because if I were home, I would not watch. I sleep, you know, so like I have to have the discipline of coming in person because you guys are just better than I am. Um, You know, one of the things that really is on our heart, you know, heavy in our heart, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but, you know, we, we we represent at least over 50 countries in our church at Gateway. A lot of people who are, who've moved here for technology, people who immigrated here with parents, or maybe they themselves are immigrants, or maybe you are in the room and you're one of those people. And so when there's things happening around the world, it really does hit the heart of our church. And so this last week, we heard from several of our, of our people here at Gateway over, over multiple things, and we do every week. But this is a week that we felt like we should not address it, but just have a moment of prayer. Um, yeah, I thank you so much for those of you who've reached out to me and people in our church who are from Puerto Rico or have family there and ask questions about my grandmother and their family members. And, uh, and then, you know, we hit the hurricane this, this last week, uh, hitting Florida and the coast on the East Coast. And, and some of you have family and friends who are there who have just been, their families, uh, their homes have been destroyed. We have some of you who are from Eastern Europe, some of you who are from Russia, who Friday are just, your, your heart is just filled with anxiety with everything going on in Russia and the Ukraine. So what we want to do, instead of taking the whole service and talking about it, because we could never hit every single issue that hits our church, we want to take a moment and pray. And uh, I don't know if I told you this or not, but a few months ago, I, I posted online, which I rarely post online other than pictures of my kids and stuff. And I said, we were praying for so-and-so. I had a friend from high school who, who said, why the blankety-blank do you pray? What the blankety-blank is that going to do? And if you know me, you know I really wanted to respond, like right there in that moment. <laughs> I took about five hours and put on Jesus clothe myself in righteousness, right? And uh, I responded and I said, no, I'll I'll be honest with you. Prayer isn't going to change that person's circumstance. It's not going to put food on their table. It's not going to do this and it's not going to, here's what it does do. It helps our disposition. And disposition is everything we're facing difficulty. So that's what we do when we pray. We line up to the heart of God, which is the message of today. So can you join me in prayer online in the room as we pray for those families, not just to those who are away that you don't know, but families in our church who are working through some of these issues with their family members and themselves. Lord, I come before you just humbly. And we say, God, there's always something happening in the world that we just don't understand. And yet maybe we aren't supposed to understand. Maybe with the chaos, maybe with the destruction maybe with regimes, maybe with poverty, maybe with whatever's going on that we face or our family and friends face. What if in that moment we just submit to you and we say, God, have your way and help us 
to embody who you are as we go out into the world and we interact with those who are broken. And uh, well, we would we have a disposition that we would never get used. We would never get used to people hurting. That we would never just say, well, there's always going to be broken people. But instead, we would say, how can I represent you, God, in a broken world? And so just be with us. Help us to lead in that way. Help those families. Help us as we partner with ministries that are doing something on the ground. And um, we submit to you today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On that note, as a church, we are. We're talking this week about how, what we're going to do, different things that are happening in the world, and we're always responding. So when you do give, I just want you to know, we don't just say it. When you give, it allows us to just be flexible. So we've already sent tens of thousands of dollars this week, um, along with other things that we do. We don't, we don't normally pick up special offerings and pass the buckets for these kind of things because when you give, your generosity and that overflow allows us just to respond on our behalf as a church. And so, uh, again, thank you so much for that. Now, as I was praying, we're, we were, I was praying about lining up to who God is and how we interact with the world because it's really important how we interact in the world. And, and when we talk about purpose and flourishing in your purpose, uh, let me tell you what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. So I'll start with what we're not going to do. I'm not going to help you figure out what your purpose is today and how you think and how you and I define as humans, as finite people, what purpose looks like. What I am going to help us do is line up to what God says and what scripture says about purpose. I do this every once in a while, probably every few months uh, when, we're, when we're handling a subject. I'll just Google a phrase or I'll Google um, the title of the message and just see what comes up. And so I just Googled, what is my purpose? And how many hits do you think came up for what is my purpose? The answer is 7.7 .7 billion answers. No wonder we're confused. Because most of those were help gurus or spiritual leaders or moms with blogs, right? Or, uh, and of course, the never aging Tony Robbins was at the top. But it is important that we are listening and processing from the same vantage point. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a little rubric for us that allows us to dive into scripture so we're all on the same page. You may not be there personally, but you under, so you understand the contextual way by which we're going to dive into scripture today. So the first thing is we're going to get a working definition of purpose because the definition, uh, if you could just go to the dictionary, is purpose is the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists, right? So that's a pretty generic term. And and the second thing we're going to do is we're going to really talk about what kind of purposeful life are we discussing? Because not all of us ask questions around purpose from the exact same vantage point or through the exact same lens. So I want us to really understand how we're going to dive into this today so that we're hearing the same thing. So, so there's two major umbrellas when we're talking about the philosophy of purpose. And I hope you know, like, a purpose has been around for thousands of years. What is my purpose? Why do I exist? And the two major umbrellas are, are, are right here. We're going to talk about them. Existentialism demands we find a purpose out of an otherwise meaningless life. 
So that's more of a, man, look what's happening in the world. The world is crazy. I can't believe it. Why do we even exist? Why didn't we just go extinct when the dinosaurs went extinct? And it's kind of like, woe is me. Well, if I'm going to have breath in my lungs, I might as well find a purpose. Existentialism. And then there's essentialism. And essentialism challenges us to find the purpose that already exists for us. It's like, hey, I know there's a purpose for me. I am, a, my positive vantage point is there's gotta be a reason I exist. I'm just now on that journey to figure out why I exist. And so for clarity's sake, we're gonna have a working assumption that is this for us today. Purpose is the endeavor of fulfilling the desire that God intended for us by placing breath in our lungs and forming us in our mother's womb. It, it kind of lends towards essentialism that there's a reason why you exist. That is part of the Christian tradition that there is a reason why you exist. But really taking it out of tradition and simply tradition and saying, what does God truly intend for you and I, for every single one of us? And the big idea here, and normally we don't share the big idea, right? The big idea is what drives the message. The big idea is what drives the thought. And normally we assume people are really smart. They're going to understand the big idea. We're going to work to communicate the big idea. And we felt this week that we should be very explicit about our big idea. And our big idea is this. Your purpose is not what you do. That's what Jen Clay was saying on the video a few minutes ago. It's what happens when you trust your life into God's hands. And, and many, many Christian traditions will point back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and with the Latin phrases, imago Dei, the image of God. And when God was creating the heavens and the earth, when he got to you and I, when he got to humanity, he said this phrase, and let's create them in our image. And they had all sorts of descriptions of what that mean, meant to be the image of God. And really that is lining up to God's likeness. It is being good stewards of the earth. And it's to be creative just like God is, and holy and set apart. I know we don't talk a lot about that, but the image of God is also to be holy and set apart. It is understanding the power we all embody when we really understand as essential part of our faith or an essential part of faith if you're exploring who God is, is that when God formed you and crafted you and breathed life into you, the phrase is ruach, when there's the wind of God that fills your body and fills your lungs, that there's a purpose there. It is to be holy and set apart. And sometimes if you grew up in church or you grew up in a Christian tradition, holy and set apart meant you were better than. And then you realize by 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, and by the time you got to college for sure, I am no better than. So we give up trying to be holy and set apart and the image of God because we, we can't be like Grandma Susie. I couldn't be like my parents. When I came to faith, you know what my prayer was to God? If I can't do what my mom and dad do, I'm not even gonna try. See, but God did not create me in the image of my mom and dad. God did not create you in the image of your father or your uncle or your aunts or your grandparents. God created you in his image. 
And I know we get bogged down with the image because it's part of the human nature. Well, my mom, my dad, and this. Yeah, that is part of it. There's something about your DNA. There's something there. There's science behind that. I'm not going to discount that. But I want you to know the intentions of God for you and I is to be made in his image and to find the full realization of the potential for creation. And even in this description, I want you to know life happens and sometimes we feel robbed from our purpose. We feel robbed from being made in the image of God. And I know, I won't go deep into this, but many of you know my story. As a person as a, as a person who survived sexual abuse as a young kid, I know what it feels like to feel like you are robbed, the innocence, the imago day. Like God created me in a particular way and somebody invaded my body or invaded my life or took your mom away or your dad cheated and started another family and you can easily feel that you were robbed of the image of God and yet I have to encourage you and slightly move you along to say, I understand that's a normal feeling that you got robbed, but you, can you understand that when God breathed life into you, nobody can rob you from the purpose of God. Nobody can steal away the image in the Imago Dei and how God sees you. I mean, if I can forgive my son for spilling grape juice on a brand new piece of carpet that my, mom, that my wife bought, that was not cheap. God can forgive me. You know, oh, Carl, that's so trivial. Your son is little and he made the mistake. It was a simple mistake. No, it was not an accident. I told him five times to put the cup away. <laughs> and what we do is as humans, we always see ourselves as the dad or the mom in the store and we forget to put ourselves as little seven-year-old Max who was told five times that that's not gonna be good for you. And we do it anyway. And yet God sees you as a son. It sees you as a daughter. And we are trying to give God all the excuses why we should not be sons and daughters. You know what my son did? I didn't get mad. This happens all the time. He's seven, totally get it. My son somewhere along the way has told himself that he's dumb. He's a smart kid. He's a great little athlete, but when he makes a mistake, he's so hard on himself. And after about a year of him doing this, I remember sitting in his room. He's like, dad, I'm just so dumb. I just made this dumb mistake. And nobody was yelling at him. Nobody was getting on to him. And I just sat there in the room. This is in my notes, sorry. And I just cried with him. Because I remember one day I couldn't hear him saying he was dumb anymore. And I left the room. And I felt like the Spirit of God told me, go in there, sit in that tension with him. Show him, love him to the image of what you see him as a son because I do that for you. And how many times do we sit and we sulk or we are in our real pain and we project to God our stupidity we project to God as we're exploring God. There's no way you're real because you would not want me. And you hear this thing about Jesus and you're like, there's no way Jesus did that for me. And your dad sit at the door saying, can I just come in anyway and spend time with you? How does God do that? 
Because the imprint in your heart, the, ima- the, the imago Dei, the imagery God sees when he sees you is what he created you for. And that is to be like him. How do we know that? The Israelites, the, I mean, they embody what it means to have an up and down relationship with God and to be far from God and close to God and far from God and close to God. And they find themselves in a season where they're far from God, living in their own imagery of what they expect success to look like. And they finally come to their senses and they repent and they say, we were wrong. And here's what God says. After the up and down relationship, Isaiah 61 and two, he says, rise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and dick Thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. It's God looking at his people and saying, I know you messed up, but now that we're walking back in alignment, let's just move forward. And this is really encouraging to me. I was reading a book a few years ago and it's called The Alchemist. It's Paolo Caolo and he's a Brazilian Catholic guy and he was writing about this journey of this young man. And really when it comes down to it, we go through life in this journey for purpose. And if we're not careful, we'll end up back at the very beginning and find our purpose right where we started, but we didn't like it when we first started the journey. And we'll spend years and decades going around and round and round and round and round. And finally, one day you're on vacation and you find this random book in your hotel room and you read it and you're like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And you're reminded that book came across your lap when you were 19 years old. Why do we do this to ourselves? Paolo says this in The Alchemist, is the past and the future become unimportant. There's only that moment and the incredible certainty that everything under the sun has been written by one hand only. It is the hand that evokes love and creates a twin soul for every person in the world. And without such love, one's dreams would have no meaning. It all comes back to how God's purpose for us is meant to be. Really quick, let me tell you a story. Uh, It's the book of Daniel, chapter one. And and I was gonna read all of it. I'm not gonna read all of it because I really want to to really um, go into the rest of the message. But I'm gonna start with verse three. And here we have Daniel and his friends, these, these, these Hebrew boys who are now in slavery. They were in Jerusalem, the land was taken over. The people of Israel are now back in one of those low times where they've been taken over, they've been taken to Babylon. And here's where the story picks up in chapter one of Daniel, verse three. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, what a name. That's a cool name chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Verse four, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Verse six, among those were chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Verse eight, but. Every time it says but in the Bible, you gotta stop. I told you this a few weeks ago, but. My youth pastor told me some butts are bigger than others. This is a big one. (laughs) But 
Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. You got to remember, they're used to being royal in Israel, and now they're in slavery, and now they're in Babylon, and now they have a chance to eat the way they used to eat and drink the way they used to drink. And now all the other people are are, are slaves, but they're being chosen because they're good looking and they're smart and they have aptitude and they have all of the potential in the world and they're given food from the king's table. And yet verse eight says, but Daniel asked for permission to recuse himself. Why would he do that? Would you do that? I don't know if I would do that. See, what I love about this story is that the four Hebrew young men truly embody what we're talking about. They knew that their purpose was to live out the Imago Dei, the image of God, wherever they were, whether they were at home in the kingdom and royalty or whether they were slaves in Babylon. They asked to continue to live the way they were used to living, and that is a way to honor God. I love that imagery. So here's what I'm gonna do real quick. I want you to, when, I, when you see this image, I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your mind. Ready? Put it on the screen. Uh-huh. Some of you are like, oh, I can't say it. <laughs> can't say it. Because some of you are thinking shows. Some of you are thinking gambling. Some of you are thinking the desert. And of course, everybody's thinking what happens in Vegas. How do you know that? Some of you are like, because it's really good that it stays there. (laughs) But what is it about going somewhere where you can do whatever you want and you come home and you act as though it never happened? How does a city build an entire industry on you and I escaping from our design and our intentional life to go somewhere to live in a way that we know we were not designed to live? And then it grows and it grows and it grows. And we wander in our purpose. And we simply reflect our current surroundings. Reminds me of Genesis chapter one. When God created it, he stepped back and he said, it is perfect. And yet that wasn't good enough for Adam and Eve. So instead of reflecting the creator, they began to reflect and blend in with the creation. And how many of us just blend in with our surroundings? And that's why we go to Vegas or New Orleans or Cancun, Mexico. And just because it's in another country, yes, it is still sinful to live that way. It's like saying, well, you know, I prayed for the food. These calories are cut in half. Are you kidding me? (laughs) No, it doesn't work that way. Why do we do this? Verse 12, let's go back to this. Please, he says this, and we didn't go back to it. We actually didn't read it yet. Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Are you kidding me? He asked to be tested. Those of you who hate your current job and are doing the whole thing in culture, quietly quitting. What if you did the opposite? What if you went to that job that you hate and said, I want you to test me. Give me a bigger project. Ask me for more work. 
Well, I'm trying to find life balance. <laughs> I don't know why I did a lisp. I'm not sure why I did that. <laughs> Sorry. Freudian slip. And the truth is, you're not trying to find life balance because 10 of those hours, you're on Instagram. Just because you're logged on the screen doesn't mean you're actually engaged in the work. I'm gonna step away from that one because some of y'all got hurt by that comment. <laughs> the original design of your job was to actually do the job. And what culture is telling us, I get to redesign the job how I see fit. What would happen if you actually worked for the 40 hours you're paid for? Can you imagine? Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. Why did God do that? Because they stayed connected to the original image that God had for them. And we stay in line with God's image and purpose for us, which is to be a reflection of God in the earth. To be a reflection as a parent, reflection as a teacher, reflection as a boss. Do you embody, do you, when somebody's in your presence, do they feel that they are in the presence of God? Not a God, the presence of God, the one who created you. Do people leave your office feeling better than when they came in? Well, sometimes you gotta give feedback, Carlos. I get it. I get it, but there's a way to give feedback that is loving and encouraging and says that I am for you, not against you. Verse 18. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar the king and the king talked with him and he found none. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. The slaves were better than the original Babylonians because the slaves understood their purpose was to be reflection of God in the earth. Now I remind you, these weren't perfect situations. I just said they were slaves. I know that conjures all sorts of imagery and conversation, but even, can we just understand some of my favorite hymns, our old hymns that were born out of slavery? Where people's, yes, my circumstance is beyond awful. My circumstance, I should not be in. This is unjust. And yet, yet even in uh, injustice, somehow the words spring up in people's souls that we still sing sometimes 150 and 200 years later. Why? Because as people line themselves up to the purpose of God, even when other people were being evil around them, there's something holy and memorable and has legacy to it because these people are lined up to the vision that God had for them. And here's the frustrating part. It's so frustrating. I'm going to put it on the screen so we can read it twice. Our purpose is steadfast, the image of God, but the way we are challenged to live it out is fluid. Our purpose, the image of God, to be like him in the earth, to reflect his love and compassion towards people, to seek the justice in the earth, to take care of the earth, to love those around us, to take care of the widows and the orphans, those things that are the heart of God, those stay the same. 
but it's fluid in how we express that because we have real life situations. We're single, maybe we get married, maybe we have children, maybe we don't. We have jobs, maybe we change jobs, maybe the economy crashes, you have to get a new job. Some of you had to reinvent yourself after 2008's crash and you're worried about what, what's gonna look like over the next few months and yet, I would be worried too if I forget who I am and what I'm anchored to, which is the image of who God is. And if I just do that, I'm gonna be just fine. It may not be fun, but our purpose is steadfast. It's just the way we are challenged to live it out is fluid. Yes, they were carried off to Babylon as young men and it changed the trajectory of their lives forever. The truth is in Jerusalem, they were young and defined by their nobility. But in Babylon, they were wise and defined by their God. Don't forget the, the big idea here. Your purpose is not what you do. It's what happens when you trust your life into God's hands. See, in Jerusalem, they were being bred to be without physical defect and handsome and qualified. But in Babylon, they were being bred to lead a nation filled with God's righteousness. In Jerusalem, they would have to, the best learning and would have been well-informed, but in Babylon, they had an impartation of God's supernatural ability to see visions and interpret dreams. In Jerusalem, they would have smelled like money and riches, and in Babylon, they were thrown into fires, but came out smelling like they had been with the Son of God. In Jerusalem, their future was still being written, but in Babylon, they were writing a story that we are still proclaiming 2,500 years later. See, we can dream of Jerusalem and there's nothing wrong with the dream. We can actually grow in Babylon and make a difference for our families and our companies and the world by being the image of God, no matter where we are, our current Jerusalem, or maybe we're in Babylon. The imagery is the same. The purpose is the same. What is true of God and us then is true of God and us now. The image of God does not change. The purpose of reflecting who God is does not change. And I want you to know you're like this painting that's, that's being crafted. You're, you're God's masterpiece. And I understand it's been marred. And I understand it's gone through a lot. And I understand people splattered paint on it or threw dirt on it. And you think it's ruined, but it's not ruined. You are still God's masterpiece. You are lined up to God's purpose. So we wanted to do something about it. We wanted to test this idea of masterpiece, something out of nothing. We wanted to test what that looked like. And so we had nothing except we had a bunch of creative people in our church who wrote music and knew how to do videos and knew how to paint. And so we crafted a moment a few weeks ago that we want you to see. We crafted a moment where there was nothing and yet something beautiful came out of it because we want you to know you might feel like nothing. You might feel like you have no purpose, but God will create something out of your nothing.
So this week, as we were looking at these pieces of art that had been created, all of the beauty that had come in these pieces of art being created, there, there, was, there was one that I, I just I looked at. And again, I was just taken by the beauty of all of the different pieces created by just these amazing human beings here in our Gateway family. And I saw this one, and it it right away spoke to me. Now again, I'm holding a piece of art specifically by, um, by Hannah. She's a student here at our North Campus. And I'm not going to speak for the artist because art is interpretive. I'm going to tell you what I saw and why I wanted to bring this up and show you this morning. What I saw was a person who has a, the feeling that there's a piece missing. That looks, looks around the world and, and oftentimes lives their life feeling like maybe there's a piece missing here or maybe here. And with that piece missing, there's just tension that, that goes into layers and layers of our lives. There's a tension to living with that feeling that 
there's a piece missing, right? And friends, I want to just say today that for all of us this morning who have that feeling at times like there's a piece missing, for anybody who's, who's ever lived maybe with a, a learning disability of some sort where you're just like, like we're living in the tension of like, why is, why is it that I, I know I'm not less smart or, or less intelligent than the people around me, but why do I, I feel like I have to try so much harder to achieve the same or what feels like a lesser result sometimes. For those of us who live our lives at times feeling like there's a, there's a piece missing somewhere and, and, and it's, it's something broken within us. Like there's a piece missing that, that makes us constantly live lives and make choices that are, that are broken. That, that we do things that are self-destructive or, or have caused destruction in the lives of other people. Why, why is it like that? And see, in light of what Carlos spoke about this morning, here's, here's my concern. My concern is that when there's the sense that there's a piece missing, what oftentimes will happen is we concentrate on that hole. We concentrate on that, that place where the piece is missing. And what that does is it, it moves us away from living on purpose. It moves us away from, from flourishing in the purpose that we've been given, the imago Dei of being a child of God. And it moves us into a place where we start doing things like sin management. We start living our life trying to just figure out how to fill that hole or how to make people um, not realize that that piece is missing or how do we find a piece that fits. And so we'll try to fit the wrong things into that place and we're constantly striving, trying to do more and work harder. And it's an exhausting way to live, isn't it? But you know, the New Testament writers, they tell us, something very specific. They tell us that for any of us who have ever felt like we were, were alienated from God because there was a peace missing, for any of us who have ever felt like we had hostility towards him or towards ourselves or hostility towards other people because we felt like something was missing, that, that that's, there was a peace missing. And for all of us who've ever felt like maybe we were even a, an enemy of God or that somehow like we were just completely at odds with, with our creator or with the way we were made, we're told by the New Testament authors, we're told like, yes, but the reason why Jesus came and lived and died, the reason why Jesus is risen again is so that we could live knowing that Jesus presents us before the creator now holy with purpose blameless and above reproach above the fingers that point at us in this world including our own and I'm so excited this morning to get to say, in light of what we've heard from Carlos and in light of the time we've had and in light of the, the ministry of, of the, this amazing art that has been created for us today, I want you to know that for anyone here that feels like there's just a piece missing, sometimes you're right. There is a piece missing without Jesus in our life. But that peace that's missing 
becomes whole, becomes healed, becomes new in a relationship with Jesus. And today that's a decision that, that you can make. It's a decision that you can remake this morning. A decision to say, yeah, I remember reading that stuff when I was 19. I remember reading it two years ago. I remember something different. And today I want to I go back. I want to go back to that place where I'm living in the fullness and the wholeness of a relationship with Jesus. And for you today, it could be a decision you make for the very first time. In fact, I'm going to pray right now. And I encourage you that if, if you want, to, if you want to, to move your life into alignment with the one who made you to live on purpose and flourishing in the purpose that he has for your life, it's simply just saying to God, God, I want what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. God, I want, I want the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus to now move into my heart space and change who I am to fill that hole that I feel like is in my mind or in my heart or in my soul because I want to live in the fullness of who you made me to be. And today I, I receive that gift, God, from you, the gift of life, life to the full. And God, for anyone else here today, Lord, who is exploring, exploring faith, exploring community, exploring uh, what it is to, to live a life that is more than what this world has to offer, then I just pray by your spirit today, God, that you would meet each of us right where we are, right where we need you this morning, right where that peace is missing in our lives. Meet, meet us there, God, and I pray that you would show us that next step into this evening, tomorrow, this week. God, that we would live in the fullness of who you have made us to be. That we would live on purpose for you. And that God, we would live in the freedom that comes from that to be who we are, knowing God, that we are your poema, your, your poem, your masterpiece, that we are your workmanship and you are not done with us yet. And I pray this today in Jesus' name, amen.